Greetings, greetings, greetings. Welcome to the second episode of Where They're At. And my name is Nabate Isles, and it is my pleasure to interview retired athletes that are doing special things after their careers and set up a foundation for themselves to be able to to uh, inspire others other than just on the court. And this week, I have the ultimate pleasure to um, to talk with a gentleman that has really done great things all the way around. He's the only player in NBA history to come out of the Naval Academy. He then culminated his beautiful career to a Hall of Fame, a Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame induction. This gentleman also has done great things off the court after. It's actually, he started his venture of the Carver Academy, which is which features 20 schools in the San Antonio area that has really um, been able to give children an inspiration to be able to move on and go to college and to be at a high level, not just education-wise, but professionally as well. So I would like to introduce this gentleman um, and the Renaissance man indeed. It's my pleasure to introduce Mr. David Robinson on Where They At. How are you, sir? I'm good, Nabate. How are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. I'm great, and, uh, and it's such a such a pleasure to have you on the show, and I've had always had so much respect for you, and of course, I know you have a heavy interest in music, which we're going to talk about as well. I appreciate it. I'm not that good at playing it, but I do appreciate it. Oh, no, sure. no, no. I, I heard that man in La Mancha on the flute. I heard that. We'll talk about that. It <laughs> <laughs> sounded good, you know? So, <laughs> but um, But funny. the first question, it's all about the foundation that was set for you, uh, your parents, Ambrose and, and Frida. How did they inspire you to be your best self and what principles did they instill in you? Well, um, yeah, my father was he was he was enli- he was enlisted in the Navy. He spent 20 years in serving in the Navy. Mm-hmm. So I grew up around that. I grew up around the naval bases and and around the service, the idea of service. So going to the Naval Academy for me seemed like a very good idea serving my country. My grandfather, his father was uh, in the army and served in the war. Mm. Um, so third in, generation, in Europe. third generation. Yeah, third yeah. generation military. Mm-hmm. So so it was, uh, I guess you could say it was kind of running in the family a little bit. Uh, and and uh, I just love the idea of service. I thought that was a, a great way to get my life started. Wow, and, and, and who were your athletic and or social influences that guided you to where you became a Hall of Fame athlete and a Hall of Fame leader? Yeah, well, growing up, you know, I loved sports. I played all the different sports. And I mean, I watched all the usual characters on TV, you know, all the usual people. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, I got to meet Jesse Owens at a punt, pass and kick competition. Wow. And uh, and he really, you know, he just inspired me as, as just a great, a legendary athlete. And and he was and I, you know, I got to shake his hand and it was, you know, like, you know, he's a real person. So I think that inspired me that hey, I could I could be that, you know, I could. I could do that sort of a thing. And so that was kind of the beginning. And then a lot of the people that I watched on TV, but never got a chance to meet, um, mm. you know, high school, Ralph Sampson was the guy I watched. And I thought, you know, he, he went to university of Virginia. So he was close by. And I thought, wow, this is, this is a guy who's pretty remarkable. And if I ever grew to be seven, four, then wow, I could, I could be like this. <laughs> yes. yes. Never got to seven, four, but I made it to seven, one. So it's not too bad. <laughs> 
Wow, it's too bad you never got to really play against him in his prime because, of course, yeah. you know, with the, he was with the Rockets with Hakeem Olajuwon, the Twin Towers, um, yeah. and everything. But, but still, Hall of Famer. It's good that he was inducted. Yeah. He's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, for sure. We're talking with um, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer David Robinson, one of the top 50 players in the history of the NBA on uh, where they at, the second edition of where they at. And, uh, David, now you, you had a growth spurt. You were 6'8", um, and, well, 5'9", what, in, in freshman year? In ninth high grade. School, ninth grade, freshman yeah, year of high school. Grade, yeah. And then you grew to 6'8", your senior year, and then 7'1", your freshman year at the Naval Academy. But Yeah, I, you know, I always tell people I grew about three inches a year for five straight years. So starting starting back in ninth grade, about five nine, I went to about I was about six foot six one and ten, about six four and eleven, and then on oh, six seven and a half by the time I went to the Naval Academy. Well, that's amazing, and, and and but you didn't play organized basketball until your senior year. So that right, that right. after yeah, I, was, I was more of a baseball player. I, I really I loved baseball, played a lot of baseball, but. You know, when you get tall, it's a little harder to to hit that ball. So, <laughs> well, you'd be a pit. You could have been a pitcher. Made more sense. Could have been a pitcher like Randy Johnson, six ten. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, could, <laughs> been, I had a great arm. You could throw ninety five miles an hour. That that could have worked out good. No, but but I tell you, you were in the right right field for sure. Definitely, you know, with what you accomplished <laughs> and everything yeah, it worked out. Absolutely. Yes, yes, and and being in the Naval Academy. Um, it, it's very interesting. Like you always mention about the le- it's a leadership factory, and that yeah, you develop discipline and laser focus. Talk more yeah. about how you developed those traits in the Naval Academy. And, and, you know, or or did you have those traits going into the Naval Academy already? You just had to to cultivate them and just fine tune those traits. And yeah, no, I wouldn't say I had them going in. I think going in, I I was I was um, you know I think I had potential. I I, mm. I think. I had the capability to do a lot of things like many of us, you know, but wasn't, I just wasn't as focused. I, I think things came a little bit easy as I was a kid and, and, and in high school, I, and I just did as little as I could to get, get by, I guess. And, um, and I did, I did take accelerated classes, you know, I took like, mm-hmm. um, um, calculus in my senior year and AP history and all those kind of things. But, but I certainly could have worked harder. Uh, but I think the Naval Academy did did me a favor by pinning my shoulders to <laughs> to the wall and saying, "Hey, you're gonna you're gonna get in gear, buddy." Uh, and you know, from day one, they they grab you. They're you know making you make your bed and do all these different things. You're from time you know your time is is of the essence. So every two minutes, you're here and there and here and there. And um, and so I think that discipline made a huge difference for me going forward. Well, and it's interesting, uh, in the Naval Academy, uh, there was another uh, professional athlete that was there, Napoleon uh, McCallum, was there yeah, when you were the there. That's right. You he know, was. at the same time, which is very interesting. So, and of course, he you was know, a fabulous football player and got drafted, you know, got drafted and ended up playing a little bit in the NFL, but he was a running back, um, a mm-hmm. pretty good sized running back, yes. over six foot, incredible athlete. And, um, and he ended up having to serve and not being able to play until after he served. So, so that would that made it you know pretty challenging. And football is a whole different beast than than basketball. And speaking of that, you had to serve two years yourself, but you dominated right away. You were drafted in 1987, the number one pick overall by the San Jose Spurs, and then you dominated in '89, '89, '90 season. And and I think the reason that I was able to play well is because I had those that that two years where I got a chance to mature. I went to work every day. I was I was working at a submarine base down in Kings Bay, Georgia, and and I think it made me appreciate the opportunity 
um, a lot more. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you get a chance to go to go to the NBA and and you know you work three or four hours a day and and you get a chance to play all over the country, uh, really all over the world, which was which was amazing. Um, I think it, it made me appreciate that opportunity and, and the, the extra maturity helped me tremendously. Wow. We're talking with um, Pro Basketball Hall of Famer, uh, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, David Robinson on where they at. Now, 1988, the USA lost, um, of course, in Seoul, South Korea, um, which was a shock. And, and But then... 92 and 96 you had the opportunities to win gold medals how now how extra gratifying was that for you especially with you serving in the navy to win those gold medals and and you know and just especially 92 1992 i think the players were thinking more about redemption from the standpoint of glory but did you have a different perspective um, yeah, you know, I think being in the Navy and serving in the military, you represent the United States everywhere you go. Um, and I think wearing that USA across my chest meant a lot to me. I, I know all the other players were excited to be there, but, you know, I think maybe just uh, even a little bit more to me just because of my experience. And um, and, and so I, I took it very seriously. So losing in 88 was very, um, very difficult uh, for all of us. And and I never thought I would get the chance to come back and do it again because at that time, college players were the only ones allowed to play. But they changed the rules in between 88 and 92, I think because of that loss, and allowed the professional players to play. So 92 was the dream team, the first time we had an opportunity for NBA players to play. And we you know, we were able to put together a team that, you know, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal team. And and, and, you know, I didn't know that I would be selected to be on that team, but it was a, it was a joy. Wow. Now, I have something uh, to play for you real quick about that 1992 experience in Barcelona. I have a lot of fond memories about the Olympics in 92. I still have my ticket stub from the uh, very first Dream Team game. But I think the biggest... Uh, most enjoyable time, the most exciting thing was when uh, Leah Wilcox with the NBA organized a little jam session with me and David Robinson on the roof of the hotel. Uh, I had heard that he'd played saxophone, but uh, which was which was strange, considering most of the players didn't play instruments at all and only listened to one specific type of music. So uh, it was really cool. It was a great hang. We spent about an hour together. And uh, it was great that he could find time to do that uh, when, with the amount of pressure that those guys had on them because they were, of course, the best team in the world. And uh, this was the first time that NBA players were playing in the Olympics. And uh, it was just a really great experience. And uh, what's up, David? You the man, bro. All right. Talk to y'all later. <laughs> That's my man Branford. I I I'd never heard him. I never never heard that. That's pretty good. That yes, yes indeed. Branford actually he sent me the MP3 yesterday just to talk about that. Oh man, that that was fantastic. Yeah, no, it was a unique experience because you know in in Barcelona the security was very high, so they had the, they had the hotel surrounded by the police and barricades, and so we didn't really get a chance to get out much. So for Branford to be able to come over there, we actually went up on the roof to um, just to have a little quiet jam session and um and he was he was so gracious with me <laughs> considering <laughs> i couldn't couldn't play much but we when we just we, you know we formed a bond at that point and um 
and I've seen him on several occasions since. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, he came to San Antonio and did a uh, did an event here, uh, a master class that I went to and got a chance to sit and talk with him a little bit. But uh, but man, he, he's just a phenomenal uh, musician and and even a better person. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And 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 it's so great too because uh, and and like you said earlier, it's about appreciation. You have an appreciation for the music, and people see that. And and we need more people that that have had experience playing an instrument and being able to know the diligence. And that and that relates to basketball. That relates to your greatness. How did music be able to help you with problem solving and discipline and everything like that? Well, I, mean, I think the, the music and sports are very closely related in that um, in order to achieve a high level, you must be disciplined. You must practice. You must be focused. It, you know, it's it's um, a lot of people can play, you know, mm-hmm. but not many people can be um, great. Uh, and, and, and in order to, to, to get to that great level, you have to be almost fanatical about it. And whether it's sports or music, um, you know, it just takes hours and hours of discipline. And so I think there's that's where that mutual appreciation comes from, knowing that, you know, somebody like Branford, who comes from a family that is legendary in the music scene, um, you know, the type, the time and the energy that it took to become um, the players that they were. Uh, and I think he understood the, what it took to become uh, a player at my level. So, yeah, there's a there's a great deal of mutual respect. And, and there, there, there always will be between the two of us. Now, um, it's something interesting. Uh, now, you at you were at the pinnacle of you know of basketball. You were one of the top five players for the like for a decade, and but you struggled um, with finding peace within yourself and everything. You've talked about that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how when did you realize that you needed to make a change within yourself? Was there a specific moment? Or were, was there an accumulation of moments that you realized that, okay, I need to make an adjustment on how I approach my life, family, and, and my faith? Uh, talk more about that. Yeah, well, my second year in the league, and I, I was doing really well. I, I had you know, made like the all-NBA team and, and, and had achieved a, a very high level on the court. But um, you know, I, I realized that I was spending most of my time just trying to please people, you know, trying to make people happy. Um, one day the newspaper people would say, oh, what a great player. And then the next day they'd say, oh, this guy can't do it. He stinks. And uh, and, you know, you can't ride that roller coaster with people. You got to you got to figure out how to be how to have joy within yourself. And so I, di- I didn't really know how to do that. And ran into a guy who uh, a minister, actually, who sat me down and said, look, let me talk to you about about God. And And I and, you know, I wasn't that interested at the time. But um, but then I sat down with him and realized, you know what, this could be what I'm missing. And, uh, and I gave my life to the Lord on June 8th, 1991. I'll never forget that day. I, I just sat there and cried and I realized, God, you know, I've never given you the honor and the glory you deserve. I've, it's always been about me, about me, you know, everything circling around me. But then at that day I decided, Lord, everything I do now is about you. You know, this, when I go into this locker room, I want to honor you. Everything I do, whether it's my marriage or my children, it's about you, and uh, and that changed everything. I mean, it, it 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 just gave me such a joy and a peace. And now here we are, you know, twenty eight years later, and um and 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 my faith has given me just 
a way to appreciate and enjoy my life that I could not imagine. I have three beautiful children. My wife and I have been married for 28 years now. We just celebrated that the other day. And congratulations. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how he settled me and given me, you know, such peace. And, and every day is a new adventure for me. I'm like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Where are we going? What's going to happen? And, and he always surprises me. You know, there's always, it's, a, it's, it's amazing. The Bible is like this love letter from God, man. If you sit down and you spend time in it, you'll realize, you know, that he, he speaks to you every day through those words. Well, and, and you noticed uh, definitely, and you said 91, that's, that was going into your third season. That's where yeah. you really ascended into one of the best uh, players. And, 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 and what, were the, what were the things that, as a professional athlete, that even with your faith, the things you had to struggle with because you were always in the public eye. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, well, the number one thing is pride, right? Like you, you, it's so easy to get full of yourself, man, read your own press clippings and think you're, you're really special. And, and the key, I think that my, my faith really helped me with and just in prayer every day was to realize this was never about me. You know, it, it looks, it looks like it's about you, but you know, but it really isn't. It's about the gifts you've been given and how are you going to manage those gifts, right? So I think the Lord really showed me that, look, I put you in this position. That doesn't make you any more special than the guy standing next to you, but it does give you an opportunity to honor me in a, in a special way. And so, you know, I think it gave me that perspective. And so through all of this stuff, the good and the bad, um, I, yeah, I just give honor to God. I just, I just thank him for what I have. Uh, you know, I look at my boys and I realize, you know, I, I did what little I could to encourage them and love on them and pray with them. But, but at the end of the day, it's really God who develops them into men. And, and so, you know, it, it's, you know, he's the one that sustained all of this stuff. So I try to give him thanks every day and honor him every day. And just remember that, um, I'm just on, I'm here for the ride, you know, <laughs> I'm not sitting on the throne. I'm just here for the ride. I'm enjoying it. Wow. And, and speaking of, of, of a ride like surfing, you know, and like this is a surfing analogy that you've used called the rising tide. And <laughs> that rising tide relates to Coach Greg Popovich, who you met when you were a rookie. He was on the staff of the Spurs in 1989. And then he became head coach in 90, 1996. So you've known him your entire professional career. And of course, afterwards, as a minority owner of the Spurs. But um, the foundation that Coach Popovich set, because the Spurs did not have any type of championship history beforehand. Um, now, what describe how that inspired you as a player and also inspired the organization, the Spurs way, that rising tide, um, you know, about teamwork, dedication, and being accountable, holding each other accountable. Um, talk yeah. more about that, about what Coach Popovich means to you. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows Popovich is a um, just a legendary coach. I mean, and he's really grown into that. He developed himself into that. When he took over after Bob Hill um, back in 95 or 6 or whatever, 96, um, it was, you know, it was a challenging situation for everybody. You know, we were a good team, but not yet a great team. And um, obviously getting Tim Duncan helped, but, you know, Popovich brought a focus. You know, one of the things he always talked about was, you know, just pounding the rock, man, every day. You hit that rock, hit that rock, hit that rock. And, and at times, you know, you hit that rock 99 times, doesn't look like you've done anything. And mm. then that 100th hit on the rock, it just cracks in half. And he always, he always focused on, just do the work, do the work, do the work, do the work. Cause one day the rock will crack. And, uh, and so I think it developed a culture here of, 
of consistency, um, uh, of, of humility and, uh, and just hunger to be the best we could every day. And that's lasted for 25 years. And I, I mean, I give Popovich and RC Buford a lot of credit because they've, they've kind of built that culture around this organization. Um, obviously we've had some players that have been able to support that, but, um, but you know, they, they've been the backbone for that. So, you know, Popovich has meant a lot, to, not only to me, but I think every player that's been through here, um, you know, he is, uh, you know, I think he does. He helps players reach their potential. Well, and 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 I I've learned from a, a couple of former players uh, never ever try to pay the check when you're with Coach Popovich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a nice thing to be known for. Huh? Exactly. The guy who always picks up the check. Yeah, no, he is he is extremely generous in that respect. And um, I mean, you, you know, he's a low key guy. He, he, you know, you would never know about that if you you know, if you didn't know pop, but, um, but, you know, he comes off on TV as kind of a gruff guy who doesn't want to do the interviews, but, but truthfully, you know, he's just one of the kindest guys and, um, and one of the most thoughtful people, extremely intelligent, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and extremely generous. I mean, you, you talk about service in San Antonio for the last 25 years, you know, he's served more kids than you can imagine thousands and thousands of kids through the pizza hut, the um, little junior league that he started. Uh, he's done a lot of things for, uh, for people in San Antonio that you would never hear about. Um, but he is, uh, he's extremely generous and intelligent and, uh, and incredibly successful. Yes. And, and I'm glad that he socially speaks to truth too, on what's going on in society. Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, he's one of those guys. I mean, you, you know, everybody has voice. A lot of people always act like, you know, they, they, they have the right to say something, especially with Twitter and, you know, and, you know, all these different social medias. Now you've got all these people making statements, but very few people have credibility to back up those statements. Um, Popovich has the credibility served in the military. So he served his country. You know, he's, he's done the right things. He served his community. He's, um, you know, he's done things, all, all these things the right way and had incredible success. So if you're going to listen to anybody, listen to a person like uh, like Popovich. That's for sure. And and now you talked about the struggle of having to adjust when Tim Duncan was drafted in 1997. Now, your faith had a lot to do with you being able to deal with that struggle, right? Yeah, well, you know, we and struggle. Struggle might be a strong word because you know, getting a player like Tim Duncan, <laughs> I don't know how you could call that a struggle. But yeah, no, he you know obviously was phenomenal player coming out of college. He went to Wake Forest and had great success at Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. And and I I knew um, from having played against him and uh, with the Olympic team and the exhibition game that this kid was for real. Um, so when we got the opportunity to draft him, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be unbelievable playing uh, b- beside this guy. So, you know, I, I did have to make an adjustment. I had to figure out how do I put him in a position to be successful, right? How do I take the pressure off of him and allow him to grow at his own pace? So, I mean, though, I tried to do what I could to really make him more comfortable and uh, and take pressure off of him. But but he's a, he's a phenomenal player. I mean, you know, <laughs> he didn't need me. But, uh, but, you know, fortunately, the two of us just got along incredibly well. We complimented each other as well as two big guys could compliment each other. And, and, and now, you know, here we are, you know, 25 years later, and, he, and we're just we're like brothers. I mean, it's been an amazing relationship. And, and assistant coach now for the San Antonio Spurs. Um, Pop, uh, Greg yeah, Popovich yeah, he's staff. back in the game, back in the game. He couldn't stay away for too long. He, he loves basketball, man. He just loves being around basketball. He and Pop obviously have a – 
very unique relationship. It's very special. And, um, and so I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm surprised that he wanted to assistant coach, but I'm not surprised he wanted to work with, with pop. Wow. And, uh, I have, uh, uh, someone else that has um, some great words and has a greeting, uh, some greetings for you as well. Here we go. Nabate, you have David the Admiral Robinson on your podcast today. This is Vinny Del Negro sending Happy New Year wishes to David, Valerie, and the kids. My wife Lynn sends her best as well to your parents and your whole family. But I had the opportunity to play with David for many years in San Antonio where he carried the franchise, not only on the court, but in the community and off the court. His Hall of Fame career speaks for itself, but what he's done off the court with his charter school, with his equity company, investor company, and all the things he does as being a great ambassador for the game of basketball all over the world is what I'm really proud of. Uh, David, I know I could talk for a long time about all the stories and time and things we've done together, but I'm just happy you're doing well. Send send your best uh, to your family, and have a great day, buddy, and hopefully I'll get to see you soon. Take care. Man, you are full of surprises today, man. <laughs> you got Branford and now you got Vinny. This is man, I feel like I'm having a reunion here. Now that's that's phenomenal. I, you know, he you know, Vinny came in early. I mean, he was, you know, he was there early in my career and um, yes. and we were still trying to figure out who we were, figure out our, our identity. And uh and Vinny's just a great, great guy. And Vinny and Lynn are obviously they're a great family. Um, but we became really good friends early on and um, you know, when you, when you really, when you're going through that struggle, you're trying to figure out, you know, what kind of team you're going to be, that's, those are the sweet moments. And, uh, and so, yeah, Vinny, Vinny has a, has a great place in my heart. Yes. Yes, sir. He, he's definitely a class act individual. And, and, and who else do you keep in touch with, you know, of teammates, former teammates or former opponents? Who else do yeah, I mean, that you, know, you talk lot, to I mean, often? Lots of guys, as I see guys throughout the years, I mean, obviously we've, we've had a ton of guys come through San Antonio and, you know, I mean, everybody like from Avery Johnson to uh, to Steve Kerr to, um, you know, Mario Ellie to Doc Rivers to I mean, it's it's just a non ending list of just incredible guys um, and and memories. And e- and even now, you know, you have the guys who have recently recently retired, like, a you know, like uh, Timmy and Manu and mm-hmm. Tony Parker. You know, mm-hmm. these guys are all. You know, they're just they're in my family. I mean, it's, we've we've had a, a great um, litany of, of players come through. Yes, no doubt about that. And and, and that's set the, the Spurs way that foundation now set by Coach Popovich. Um, and do you think do you think Coach Popovich needs to rebuild? Like, do you think because the team is kind of like right now, it's kind of I, I'm not going to say the word purgatory, but the team is kind of like in the middle of the pack. And do you think Coach Popovich needs to just just start all over again and, and build it like he did? 20 some odd years ago well I think I think they've got pieces you know we're not we're not devoid of talent we just I think a lot of the culture just left you know it's just it's very difficult to maintain that that culture when you have you know you three of the best players in NBA history walk out the door at roughly about the same time you know we've got uh, LaMarcus is a remarkable player um, DeMar DeRozan's fantastic I think our young guys guys like Derek White um uh, I mean, we we have you know, Patty Mills too. is still obviously there. Dejounte is an mm-hmm. in, incredible young guy. So I mean, we got pieces. It's just it's it's about culture, though. You know, at the end of the day, it's about do you trust each other and are you helping each other? And and I think I think that's what we have to rebuild. We had we had three of the most reliable guys of all time, you know, playing together in in Tony Manu and Tim. 
Yes. Uh, and so there, you never doubted when you went out there every night who you could count on. And I think that that's, that just takes time to build, man. You got to, you know, I think Pop is doing it the best way he knows how. But, you know, with Kawhi leaving, it, it, you, you, you lose that great talent. But then you also, you know, you're starting over when it comes to building the culture. So, so I, yeah, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough position to, to be in when you've been spoiled for 25 years and you've been at the top of the ladder. Um, but, but, you know, the truth is no one can keep that up forever. You, you've got to go, you go through cycles and we're in a, we're in a cycle right now where we have to rebuild that culture. Now, speaking of Kawhi Leonard, um, I have two questions for you. Uh, first, were you surprised that he made that run pretty much carrying the Raptors? Like he was the missing link for them to finally win their first championship. And a second question, would he have been able to reach that greater self if the Spurs did not trade for him in 2011? Well, I mean, the, the first question, was I surprised? Yes, I was surprised. And, you know, obviously the, the Raptors were not on the anybody's radar to win the championship that year, last year. And what a phenomenal job he did. I mean, he was he was incredible. I, he was incredible. I, I, I always, you know, for the last few years, I thought he was the best two-way player in the league. But, um, but he proved, you know, really what he did, I thought, last year was legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to become an MVP of two different teams uh, and taking a team that really wasn't on the radar screen to the championship. That was legendary. That was incredible. So, you know, really happy for him as an individual. Um, you know, I think, I, you know, I, I, obviously we had some impact on him growing as a player. I, you know, I, I always hesitate to try to, you know, take too much credit for anything. I don't care what it is. I mean, you know, people are going to become what they're going to become. And, and so, yeah, maybe he would have become this phenomenal player without the Spurs. I mean, I, but I think we had something to do with him, you know, him getting that discipline and confidence and, and structure into his game. But, but, you know, I mean, he's proven that he's got more gears and he's, he's, you know, even with the Clippers this year is a new, a new look for him and, and he's doing a phenomenal job again. So I wouldn't put it past him to, to, you know, take another team and, and go to the top. Yeah, especially with Paul George and and with Doc Rivers, with the experience yeah. Doc Rivers has. Yeah, no, they have some great. They have they have great pieces with that puzzle right there. And man, I I like I said, would not be surprised if he was able to do that, and that would put him in a really unique status from in in the history of the NBA. And that's what a great team is all about, I think. When you have two great players, two Hall of Fame caliber players, and then you have the rest of the roster of role players that accentuate the importance of their roles well you know that's that's where you that's where you got to give doc rivers a lot of credit Mm -hmm. because he's built that culture right like like we talked about earlier culture is everything i mean there are a lot of teams trying to win championships what's the difference between a good team and a great team and its culture and so for doc to have put that in place um with the rest of those players who know their roles and they do their roles extremely well they fulfill roles well um, is 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 a real credit to his ability to to put a unit together. Yeah, and and speaking of Vinny Del Negro earlier, like you know, I, I've been thinking like because that was his last job with the Clippers, and Doc replaced mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. When will he get an opportunity? I you know like it's yeah, I, it's I a good thinking. question. You know, it's a funny the coaching carousel is a funny thing, man. I, I don't know that I've ever understood it. You know, but um. But, you know, a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, you, you've got to, 
I mean, you think about it, if, if Steve Kerr would have taken that Knicks job, how different would his career have been? You know, the, you know, I mean, good gracious. He turns the Knicks down, goes to the Warriors, and now he's won, you know, three championships. And, you and, know, that's a whole different then, story. And then right? Stan so, Van Gundy was the Warriors' first choice before Kerr, actually. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, so, I mean, so, you know, the, the smallest things can change. You know, it, it can make you be a good, great coach or a, a mediocre coach. And and I think, you know, Steve Kerr is, 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 is an incredibly bright person and made the right choice. And, um, oh, and sure. so, you know, I think, I, I, you know, who knows? I, I'd love to see Vinny get another shot if, if that's what he wants to do. Uh, but um, it's, you know, like I said, it's always one choice here or there that you make that can make all the difference. That's for sure. And speaking of making all the difference, your Carver Academy, that makes the difference for sure for enlightening and and motivating our children and bill i remember you've talked about building a school from scratch it's it's, it's a very yeah, yeah. tedious it's tough. thing it's tough. education is you know there's been a lot of money thrown at education and it is very it's a very challenging endeavor to do it right and to do it efficiently right so you you know you um the challenge really is how do i educate these kids how do i first of all how do i disrupt the system that um, that doesn't serve the low income students very well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there is an imbalance. There is a gap. Um, you know, if you live on one side of the highway, you have a nine percent chance to get to and through college. If you live on the, the other side of the highway, you have a 75 percent chance to get to and through college. So there's a massive gap depending on your zip code. And how do we how do we address that and stop? wasting the greatest resource we have which is our children right how do we get them engaged and um and and um progressing through the system so i think that's the challenge we, we tried to to address with uh, carver academy i think we've done a, a good job through you know joining with idea public schools which is a charter school network and now throughout texas and we, we've opened up schools now in louisiana and, and baton rouge and uh, new orleans and we have um almost 100 schools uh in our system now and so, um, so, you know, we're, we're excited. Uh, we're growing, we're, we're the fastest growing charter school system in the country. Uh, and we have, uh, so far a hundred percent matriculation rate to college. So we're sending all of our kids to college. We build our schools in low income areas. We get the kids ready for college. And, um, and, and, and that's to me is exciting. So it, has it been a challenge? Yes, but it's extremely rewarding when you see, you know, the futures of these families changing right before your eyes. Well, and, and that leads, you know, to fatherhood, how you're able to be able to bring that leadership to developing your sons, David Jr., Corey, and Justin to be at the highest peak themselves. And um, now talk about what they're each doing right now, because they've each had fi fascinating directions in their lives and, and how they've been able to uh, continue your legacy. Yeah. I'm, my boys are amazing. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I always tell people, you know, the, the best thing you can do in raising your children is, is marry the right wife, <laughs> you know, and my wife has, has been remarkable. Um, I, I can't even tell you from the beginning, um, you know, she's instilled these qualities in these boys, just paying attention to detail and um, just a hunger for knowledge and wisdom and, and, you know, the right heart, the right attitude. You know, I was, I was playing basketball. I was, I was gone a lot of the time. So, you know, she really controlled the household and, and, and ran that part of the household and, and gave me a freedom to be who I needed to be on that court. 
and and so now I look at the result. The, you know, these boys, um, the young men, they're not boys, they're men now, 26, 24, and 22. And uh, my oldest went to the University of Texas, a great school, um, graduated yes. and is now working in the, in the private equity world, in the real estate world with me. And then my middle son went to Notre Dame, played football. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, 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 and had a great career at Notre Dame. Yeah. Unbelievable. Was a Rhodes Scholar finalist and, um, and ended up now is working at, uh, uh, actually he's just, just got a new job is working with NBC sports now. Oh, and, great. Is uh, he on, is he uh, in front of the camera? Well, he, well, he's going to be, yes. So yeah. he's, getting, he's right. just getting started. Excellent. So this, this year is going to be his first year working there. So, I mean, very exciting to see how he's progressed and grown. And then my youngest son is a um, is a graduate student now at Duke in his fifth year playing basketball for Coach K. He's going to walk away from Duke with a master's degree uh, in, in, from the business school. And I mean, he, I could not be more proud of them and their efforts. Wow. No doubt and about so, I mean, Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and, and a lot of that really, like I said, is really, you know, my wife's vision for them and, and really you know, complimenting, you know, I was always into education and all those things, but, you know, you also need that discipline and that structure that my wife was able to provide. And so, you know, it's been, it's been an amazing journey. And it's so funny, uh, uh, Justin Robinson. There's a great saxophone player named Justin Robinson, good friend of mine. Oh, is it really? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. you that. should check him out. Oh, it. yeah, great, great player. Yeah, definitely. I, actually, I, named, I, I named him after a really good friend of mine who's also a sax player. Wow. Um, his name is Justo Almario. Um, and, and, uh, he, he's from LA, but he's played in a bunch of groups and, um, Cornelia and played with my friend, a drum player named Bill Maxwell. Yes. Uh, and, and he's the nicest, sweetest guy. Now he, he teaches at, at UCLA. Um, but Justo is, uh, is just a amazing, amazing, uh, amazing guy. But yeah, that's where I got that name from. That is deep. That is deep. And please give, I haven't met Justin, but please give my regards to David Jr. and Corey because they came to see me play at my record release party for my record Eclectic Excursions. Oh, wow. That's they, awesome. They, That's they awesome. supported me. That Great, great, great group of guys. Like, wonderful. So please give them my regards. Uh, They're you. awesome. Appreciate that. About that. Yeah, That's been, it's a blessing. Thank yes, you. Yes, indeed. And now... I wanted to ask you, are you mentoring any current players now that any players that you're mentoring that have come to seek your expertise? Because I know if I was a player, I will always go to the to the to the masters, you know, and and just like musicians do, like do players do that for you to ask you for advice? Well, several several players have approached me um, and and ask about business and ask about, you know, just different things about life. And, um, and so, you know, I try to help guys. I'm always trying to encourage guys when I can with the Spurs, obviously our guys from the Spurs team, you know, if they come to me, I'm, I'm definitely going to be able to sit down and spend time with them, but mm-hmm. largely retired guys. I mean, you look at guys like, uh, Tony Parker has been an amazing, um, friend and now business partner for me. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, he's this, you know, Tony's brilliant. He, he's, he's got incredible energy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's into a whole lot of things, uh, doing everything from mute you know television production to resorts to everything and so really fun seeing young guys like that really come into their own business wise and and uh and being able to partner up and kind of use our strength together 
Wow, that's that's unbelievable. And, and speaking of uh, another um, entrepreneur, businessman, uh, the name LeBron James, and he also opened a school as well in Akron, Ohio, yeah. too. I promise, uh, yeah. uh, his academy, and and I can tell that he. He he definitely looked at you and looked at you as a model for sure. Did he speak to you about education and building building a school and how to do it? Did he get advice? No, from you? I mean we didn't we didn't talk at all. I mean, really? I, but, I, but, wow. I mean, incredible to even take on something like that. Um, I you know I'm just really proud that you know he's been he's had a mindset not only as a as a businessman but as a philanthropist and and you know trying to attack that challenge of education i mean we need as many people doing that as 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 possible because we obviously have a a big challenge ahead of us if we continue to have that education gap between the haves and the have nots so i i i give i applaud him for you know taking on that challenge and you know, I don't know. I don't know if he studied any of the things that we went through and how we built our our organization. But he seems to be having great success there. And and man, I, I'm rooting for him. And if yeah, if he called me up, I would I would help him in any way I could. And and now about LeBron on the court, is he still the best player on the court? And if he isn't, who is in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think Kawhi has established himself as the as the dominant guy right now. I mean, you take that team to a championship. I don't, you know, no matter what anybody says, you're the man. Um, I love what Giannis is doing as well. Um, he is he's going higher and higher every single year. Um, I mean, and, you know, those two guys, I'd say, are holding the holding the torch right now. Uh, LeBron is still elite, elite. Um, but uh, but I think those two guys have established themselves as as the as the top of the, the pile right now. Okay, interesting. And and, and now uh, we have a, a few more minutes to go, and I want to uh, have a segment with you. This is a segment that I did last week with Warren Moon, but I called it the no huddle. But since you are, since you are on the basketball court, I'm going to call this fast break. And uh, this segment okay, where I'm going right. to ask you some questions, and, and you can give me uh, like a quick answer, and then we'll move right on. It's kind of like running, gunning, Denver Nuggets style, 1980s, you know? So, all right. Okay, okay. all right. All right, let's do that. Here we go. Here we go. Quick fire. (laughs) Greatest performance by an opponent that you've seen. Ooh, greatest performance by an opponent. Um, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon in the 95 playoffs, uh, we were playing them. Uh, He was, he was phenomenal. And then he went on in the finals and, and did the same thing against Orlando and Shaq. And that's the best performance I've, I've seen personal. Wow. Now, your preference of alto saxophonist Charlie Parker or Cannonball Adderley? Ooh, um, I'll say I'll say Charlie Parker only because I have a, a bronze statue of Charlie in my house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go with the bird. I'll go with the bird. And you know his hundredth um, his hundredth birthday would be August twenty twenty. So twenty twenty will be the hundredth celebration wow. of charlie parker 100th uh, that's anniversary of his life yes indeed that that's fantastic yes indeed now preferred meal before any game that you had what was your preferred meal i'd say um but well, my wife makes a bunch of fantastic meals but i would say um she makes this lasagna that is just to die for mm. and uh, so that was that was probably my preferred meal um you know most of the time i kept it simple with just like chicken and pasta or something but uh, but her lasagna is off the charts. Excellent. Wow. Now, most eccentric teammate or opponent? 
<laughs> That's an easy one. <laughs> uh, Dennis Rodman. I knew you. <laughs> <laughs> that's an easy one. Come on, you got to give me a harder question than that. <laughs> okay, that's right. I, I, I didn't think about that. That's what I actually put that down. So, okay. <laughs> but he was a winner, though. Yeah. He was a winner. He loved yeah. the win, though, as you know. He oh, was. man. He was, a, he was an amazing player. I mean, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame player. I mean, really, just a phenomenal, maybe the best athlete that I've ever played with. Uh, phenomenal athlete, and but he was eccentric. So, you know, there's no way of getting around that part. <laughs> now, favorite composer? Favorite composer, I'd say Mozart probably. You know, he's uh, he was uh, man, just versatile, and um, you know, between Mozart and Beethoven. I mean, I grew up playing Beethoven. I love Beethoven, but but I think Mozart would have to edge him out in my mind. Okay, okay. Now, most underrated player you've encountered in your career, the player that does does not get the recognition he deserves. Oh wow, most underrated player. Um, you know that's a great question. I, you know, I, if if I had to go of 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 all currently or of all time. Oh well, during your career, during your playing career. Oh, okay. During my playing career, kind of most underrated player. Um, oh man, I you know that that's a really that's a really hard question. I mean, if it if it were possible to be underrated, um, you know, Tim Duncan maybe. <laughs> I think he's he's. He's the best player. He's, you know, he and Michael Jordan are the two best players I think I've played around. And, um, mm. and, and I, I think, you know, people recognize how great he is. Yeah. But come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> the guy was, he was incredible. He was yes. incredible. And, you know, so I, you know, I think, I, you know, he was a low key guy. I think, you know, when it, and people kind of always kind of said his personality was, he didn't have much of a person, but that's all garbage. I mean, the, you know, the guy is incredible. And he just he just wasn't a guy who thumped his chest. That's all. Right. Um, didn't draw attention to himself, but but his play certainly draw drew attention to him. Wow. Now um, now is the Luis Nadon still the statement piece of your watch collection? <laughs> you know, my watch collection. I don't collect as much as I used to. I you know that was kind of an early on in my career. I, I used to be really fascinated with them, but um, but I think that yeah, the Luis Nadon is the uh, is that was my that's my favorite um, probably watchmaker out of all of them. Okay, now if you ever pursued a place in politics, which office would you run for? <laughs> uh, I'm not. You know, I think I'm 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 past that point now. But um, but yeah, no, I I just I appreciate what the public officials do and the fact that they'll lay their lives down on, on uh, for for everyone else's sake and for the good of the whole. Um, so I have a tremendous amount of respect for the politicians. It's a it's a tough game right now. It really is. But um, but yeah, that's not my game. I, I'd rather just you know go direct and and build the schools and help people directly. And uh, and I think that's the way I could be most effective. But but which but which um which like senate senate or house of representatives which is more appealing to you that you follow you know in following politics. I think being a senator would be an amazing thing. I think the two the two positions that are probably most fascinating to me are governor, and um, and because I think local politicians have a tremendous impact on lifestyle for people. So being a governor and uh, being a senator, I think are, are the two that are most intriguing for me. I have two more questions for you. Uh, the best center, okay. the best center you ever played against, because you had a plethora of them during your career. Yeah, yeah, I know it. I know it. I got. The, I came along in a great era. I'd say the best center I ever played against. I, I would have to say Akeem. I mean, you know, Shaq was phenomenal as well. Um, Patrick was phenomenal, but 
But I think because I battled Akeem so many times, he was he was my main rival, uh, and and I just uh, yeah, he was phenomenal, just uh, Akeem. And last question: Speaking of Tim Duncan, your funniest Tim Duncan joke that you experienced or prank that he did on you? Um, I I wouldn't even say I had one of those. I mean, you know, just we we. You know, he's—I wouldn't say he's a prankster. I mean, there's not not really anything like that. I mean, we've had plenty of fun and interesting times. I mean, I'd say the the, the maybe a funny thing about it is, you know, we would go we would go to, uh, you know, he didn't want to go to the mall or anything with me because I always like to stop and talk to people and <laughs> shake hands. And Tim was like, "We got places to go. We got things to do. Let's go." But you know, and 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 so. Uh, so he's just very focused. He's a laser focused guy, and you know, and I'm I'm all over the place. So, so he, but he's a yeah. Tim is Tim is phenomenal, but I don't. I wouldn't say if there was any practical jokes. We're not. We don't. Neither one of us is really like that. Oh, okay, okay. Because I've heard yeah. diff- I've heard different things about <laughs> about him. Oh, being- I, okay. Maybe he played <laughs> practical jokes on somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> not necessarily me. So well, but before we go, um, your love for San Antonio. What made you stay there? I could talk about San Antonio all day. Just phenomenal city. It's been a great place to raise my children. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a big city with a small town feel to it. You know, yeah, you're, we're we're approaching two million people, and we're going to probably quickly approach that over the next few years. Um, and and growing as a city, there's a lot of room for us to grow. Austin is a great city that's growing, so we're kind of the two cities are growing together. And um, and I yeah I love it and, and so you know my son and I now get a chance to do things in the city, uh, so that would be my that would be my thing is just come to San Antonio to, you know check it out it's a it's a phenomenal city um, I'm enjoying my kids my family I'm enjoying life uh, I'm very blessed the Lord is good to me and uh, man I've enjoyed talking to you with you today Nabate well no I enjoy enjoy um, the insight. And everything that you've been able to um, to provide for myself and for the audience. And and uh, Mr. David Robinson, I thank you for joining me on the second episode of Where They At. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks about that. Have a great day. Thank you all for listening to the second episode of Where They At. I want to thank my producers, Nadia Rondas and Matt McConico. Also, Phelan Dennis here at One of One Productions. Their studio is glorious and it makes me feel at home and of course last but not least I want to thank the Hall of Famer Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer David Robinson for joining us my name is Nabate Owls and I want to wish all of you a happy and blessed new decade take care everyone bye bye